your Bible is open and you look at Micah 2 and Micah 3, you see a lot of similarities. Uh, so um, you see in, in, in Micah 2 uh, that these oppressors are judged. Micah 3, the unjust leaders are judged. And it just sort of parallels back and forth uh, in between Micah 2 and Micah 3. But I want us to notice a couple of things. So far in our study of Micah, we have seen that the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom at this time, because they divided over unwise decisions and sin and idolatry, I, so far they have been very, very effective at breaking two of the Ten Commandments. I have no other gods before me, and don't make yourself any idols. They have been very effective at breaking those two commandments, and that is why judgment is now knocking on the door, is because they have broken these two commandments. But they didn't stop there. Uh, as we'll see today, they, there's a couple more that they pick up. That, hey, let's just, since we're guilty of breaking two of them, let's just add some more to the list. And if you see at the beginning of chapter two, it starts off, whoa, never before has a good sentence and a good conversation, a happy conversation started out with the word woe. Woe to those who dream up wickedness and prepare evil plans on their beds. So they have other gods, they've made other idols, and now they are breaking and they are abusing God's command to rest. When God said, uh, observe the Sabbath, we see throughout Scripture that that's more than just one day a week, that God has built into our schedule this opportunity and this need to rest. And while everybody should be at night with their head on their pillow resting, having their bodies rejuvenated for the next day, here we see a group of people who are, dis who are conceiving evil plans. And when they wake up the next morning, Right? They decide, hey, let's break a fourth commandment, right? Because they coveted. If you read far enough in the Ten Commandments, eventually you get the one that says, do not covet what your neighbor has. And here, these people are devising plans in the middle of the night because they covet what somebody else, their neighbors, have. And what we have here are these evil, uh, jealous land barons uh, who are who are coming up with ways that they can steal more land. So what we have is these guys may have thousands and thousands of acres, and what they're doing is going after the guy who has an olive vineyard or a grape vineyard, something that their family's um, uh, sustenance depends on, and they're robbing that from them. They're, they're looking down on the middle, on the lower class, and they're stealing what they have. And God, through Micah, is saying, woe to you. Not like W-H-O-A, like stop, even though that's implied. It's like judgment is coming. Woe is coming. And so we see them breaking that. And then, starting in verse number three, you have this conversation going back and forth between God and the nation of Israel. And so you see... God say in verse 3, he says, I'm planning disaster against this nation. You can't free your necks from it, and you will not walk proud, so proudly because it will be an evil time. In that day, you will take, one will take up a taunt against you. Judgment is coming against you because of your wicked ways. And there's nothing you, right, you need to hold on to that, there's nothing you can do about it. It is coming. And then you have the, the people sort of interrupt the conversation and interject themselves into it and say, whoa, 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 quit preaching at us. Can you imagine saying that to God? Like, stop. 
right? Quit preaching at us. In verse number six, he says, they shouldn't preach these things. Shame's not going to overtake us. They tell God, time out, right? Quit preaching this stuff to us. And God doesn't give them too long of a leash there. He jumps right back in and he says, house of Jacob, you ask, is the spirit of the Lord impatient? And we know because we're this far into the book that God is not an impatient God. He is very, very patient, right? Uh, Forgiving and looking over sins and and sending judges and and kings and prophets who, who do his will and try to bring his people back. And even in the midst of two chapters where God's judgment is harsh and it is needed, but we have to remember, this is part of God's love because he's, he's more concerned about the long game, the eternity game, than he is the here and now and your comfort right now. And he, but even in these couple of chapters where God's judgment, where his anger is at full force, we still see God's humor. If you look at verse number 11, God says, uh, if a man of wind comes and invents lies, right, uh, our way of putting that in 2022, if a dude comes in full of hot air, right, if, if he says, I'll preach to you about wine and beer, God says, that dude would be the perfect preacher for you all because that's what you want to hear. You just want to hear stuff that backs up what you want to do. You want to have a good time, so you're going to hire a prophet to come in and tell you that what you're doing is okay. That is the state that Israel is in right now. Judgment is coming, and God says, you deserve it, and the preachers you have coming in to preach to you are doing nothing but to, to, to continue your sinful appetite. So he calls out in chapter 1, there's this first cycle of oracles or prophecies or warnings. In the first part of chapter 1, he's really talking about the northern kingdom where Samaria is the capital, and it's going to fall. And then in the second part of chapter 1, now he's saying that, okay, Jerusalem, you have adopted the evil ways as well, so judgment is coming to you. And and then in chapter 2, he says, and you guys who are devising wicked plans while you're sleeping, while you're supposed to be sleeping at night, trying to steal land from people who need that land to provide for their family, judgment is coming for you. And you false prophets who were backing that up, shame on you. And judgment is coming, judgment is coming, judgment is coming. But then in verse number 12, right, God pulls a Ralph Westbrook. You guys know who Ralph Westbrook is? He's my grandpa. And over the course of his life, Dave, as he got older and older, he forgot how to gradually apply the brake in his vehicle. It was 55 and then it was zero. Right? There was no gradual stop. So you wore seatbelt even before wearing a seatbelt was required of you. And, had, uh, he, that, and that's what Micah is doing right here. Right? Judgment is coming, judgment is coming, judgment is coming. And then all of a sudden, Micah offers a ray of hope to the faithful people of Israel, to this godly remnant. Okay, so remnant is one of those words that we probably don't use a lot in our everyday language. So I want to tell you what remnant is before we go any further. How many of you have driven by Torch, Ohio? Okay, keep your hands up. Uh, Some of you don't know where we're going. If you've ever gone from here to Athens, Ohio, you have driven past Torch, Ohio. So a few more hands should come up. How many of you have ever stopped in Torch, Ohio on purpose for something other than the rest area? Okay, so we have uh, six, seven hands up. 
When I was a kid, we made frequent, frequent trips to the metropolis of Torch, Ohio. My mom would get with her sisters, uh, and they would go to Torch to the post office. Anybody been to the post office in Torch, Ohio? All right. It used to be where all the fabric in all the world went to die. Okay, because in the front part, there were the mailboxes, and the postmaster uh, was, was an older lady at the time, uh, and, and she, would, she would get mail. Of course, we didn't live in Torch, so we, didn't, we weren't one of the three people who lived in Torch, so we didn't have a mailbox there. But we went for what was past the mailboxes. And I say we because I was a kid, and I really didn't have any free choice in the matter. I was too young to be left at home, so we got drugged there. And this is where the show Hoarders got its start. Because there were bolts and bolts and bolts and bolts of fabric. You know what a bolt is? It's a piece of cardboard with fabric, material wrapped around it. And it was from the floor to the ceiling. There may have been tables in there. I don't know because they were, if they were, they were hidden by the material. And my mom could spend hours looking at material. And this is where I developed this, this, this illness of claustrophobia um, because I thought that that's where they would find me eons later because the material would have fallen in on us and we would have died and smothered there. But you had all these bolts, and in the middle was this table that to me just looked like scraps. There wasn't enough to wrap around the, the piece of cardboard and put back on the shelf. It was the remnant section. It wasn't big enough to make a wedding dress out of, to recover your couch, to make a big blanket. It looked worthless. Matter of fact, it was right beside the trash can where the scraps went that were too little to do anything with. But in the right hands, those remnants could be made into something beautiful. Small, they looked insignificant, right? But in the right hands, those pieces, small pieces of material discarded by most, unneeded by most, in the right hands could be done, something beautiful could be done with them. Small, but still useful. That is a remnant. So when we come to Micah chapter 2 and verse 12, and Micah uses that word, you have just a little bit of an understanding of what that means. Uh, it's no longer, he's no longer talking about the nation of Israel. He's talking about this small pocket that's right next to the trash can of faithful people to God. So, with that in mind, let's look at uh, Micah chapter 2 and verse number 12. And these words are written for us. I will indeed gather all of you, Jacob. I will collect the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen like a flock in the middle of its fold. It will, be a it will be noisy with people. One who breaks open the way who will advance before them. They will break out, pass through the gate, and leave by it, and their king will pass through before them. The leader, the Lord as their leader. Now, a few weeks ago in the intro to this series, we talked about what this looked like, that, that the, the faithful were, were in the middle of this, this captivity, and here comes the king and breaks through to the people who have been assembled there and leads them out. Right? And here we have the, Micah referring to this as a remnant. And this idea is important through the prophets, especially through the pre-exilic 
prophets, those who came before they were taken off into exile, before the northern kingdom was taken by the Assyrians and the southern kingdom by the Babylonians. Um, Because what you have here is this small number of Israelites that would be left after God's judgment. Now, this may seem harsh, and it is, but remember, God is not giving anybody anything less than what they rightly deserve. It's God's judgment. It's this drastic reduction uh, would, would be a part of Israel's history throughout the Old Testament. In Amos chapter 5, Amos, another prophet, said, he, he said, a city that has a thousand in it will be reduced to a hundred. A city that may have, or a town that may have a hundred in it will re, be reduced to ten. This drastic reduction based on sin and unbelief. And this is exactly what's happening here when, when, as the northern kingdom has been destroyed, carted off, never to return, and Sennacherib starts making his way south, and he starts taking over all the strongholds and all the cities and all the land, and now they were right around Jerusalem, knocking on the gate about 700 B.C., and this once northern or southern kingdom that was growing, and it was rich, it was prosperous, has now been reduced to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, the holy city, is all that is left of the once great nation. But to those who are behind the walls of Jerusalem, God says, I will gather you. This indicates to us that the, the, that the faithful remnant is the true people of God. It's never, ever been about just being a descendant of Abraham. Having a relationship with God has always been about faith, not about who your dad or your grandpa was. It's always been about faith, and we see that here in Micah. We also see that not only are these, uh, is this remnant confined to a space, but they're also weak and poor. Why? Because these wicked land barons and the Assyrians and the Babylonians soon are coming to take everything they have away from them. So they are weak, they are poor, but they are holy. They have not bowed a knee to the Baals, to the other gods. Uh, And then third, they may be weak, they may be small, but they are strong in the Lord. Weak in the flesh, holy to the Lord, strong in his might, describes this remnant. This pattern of the remnant is seen all throughout Scripture. Um, Here we see Micah talking about it, but Isaiah prophesies about a time that's coming when when this remnant will uh, have to flee. Um, In Isaiah chapter 10, verse 21, uh, after the the Babylonians, sorry, take cart off all the southern Israelites, this remnant will return because of the mighty God. Centuries later, after the Pharisees and the Sadducees and many of the the Jewish people uh, rejected the Messiah who had been prophesied about for generations came and they rejected him and they rejected Jesus Christ. There was this other warning that, that, that Jerusalem was going to fall. And in 70 AD, that's exactly what happened when over a million Jewish people were executed by the Romans. And only those, only that remnant, that small group of people 
insignificant group of people who put their faith in Jesus and believed when Jesus said in Luke 21, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, you know the time of desolation is near, and they fled to the mountains to safety, and then we see the church blow up in a good way and spread because a faithful remnant stayed true to God. And we see this all throughout, this idea of the remnant continuing the story of God. Sometimes it got bleak, right? Right now, right? the Assyrians surrounding Jerusalem, that's pretty bleak. Um, one, one time uh, uh, Elijah thought he was the, the only one around and he was sort of having a pity party saying, God, I'm the only one who is faithful to you. I'm the only one who hasn't bowed down to a fake God. And I don't know if you remember the movie Back to the Future, right? When, it, hello, McFly, is anyone home? It's like God doing that to Elijah. Elijah, wake up. You may not see it, but there's a remnant of 7,000 people who haven't bowed a knee to Baal, to Asherah. Get up and do what you're supposed to do. I promised I would protect the faithful, and I will. But so here we see, right, over and over and over, this idea of a faithful remnant, this holy remnant in every generation can expect suffering because of the, the sin in the world around them, but we can also look to the Lord for a display of his glory and his power in saving the weak but holy people. It was this idea of salvation that Micah held to as Jerusalem was going to be surrounded. He said, I will surely gather you, O Jacob. I will collect a remnant. Bible records, and you have to go over to 2 Kings chapter 18 to, to figure out what's going on here when, when Jerusalem is surrounded. But the Assyrian uh, king, Sennacherib, comes down and he's destroying everything. And now he's around Jerusalem and he sends up his, his emissary, a, a guy who's referred to as the Rabshakeh, to go up to Jerusalem and knock on the doors and taunt the inhabitants who have, who have uh, fled to Jerusalem and to taunt them and say, come on, guys, it's obvious that your God isn't, isn't taking care of you. Look where you are. Look out the window. See everything around you. Right? It's obvious that all of these other countries around you and cities around you, that their gods couldn't protect you. So why do you think your God's going to be able to protect you against this mighty army? And they was just encouraging him, just, just make this easy on us. Just open the door, let us come in. But the king at the time was a guy named Hezekiah. And Hezekiah remembered what Micah had said. And now at his time, what Isaiah is telling him. And Isaiah said, don't be afraid because of the words of this guy. He is going to die by his own sword. And you know what happened? Because of King Hezekiah's faithful prayer and his faithfulness, died by his own sword. And that remnant was protected. God answered Hezekiah's prayer and faith for deliverance by the Lord's intervention that those who had fled were protected. And this offers us a clear message, church, and I want you to listen. Sennacherib had believed, and this Rabshakeh had, had believed that, that, that God had assembled his people together for easy pickings. Uh, man, this, 
this God of the Israelites is pretty cool. He's bringing everybody together so we don't have to chase them all over the place. We're, we can just go to Jerusalem and here they are. But we see what happens in the pages of Scripture, in the pages of history, that when they are, were at their weakest, that is when God showed up the strongest. And church, when we are faced with something terrible, sometimes the world, all the time the world is telling us to flee from God. He's, he's, just, he's, he's, he's serving you up on a silver platter for the evil one. He's not going to come. He's not going to help you. But we see time and time and time again that that is when God is at his strongest. God gathers his people near himself, often depriving us of every other solace and hope and things that we place our trust in in order to save us. When he has whittled everything else away and we have no more excuses, nothing else to try to run to, that's when God has our attention and when we realize our hope, our strength, our faith should be in you alone. And that's what is happening here. So we have this image of, of God uh, as uh, chasing and continuing his story through this small group, this remnant. But we also have this biblical image of God as our fortress, as our refuge. And man, do we see it clearly here in Jerusalem where they're flocking to Jerusalem to be behind the strong walls where God will protect them. God is a fortress and a refuge. The psalmist in Psalm 46 wrote these words, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and though the mountains tremble at its swelling. In Micah chapter 1, the mountains were melting. In Psalm 46, the mountains are trembling. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. With this in mind, King Hezekiah called the remnant of God's people to come to Jerusalem to escape Sennacherib, who with his mighty arm was going to try to attack us, but who with that same arm would meet his defeat. That's why church, this example and many more, why the worst thing that we can do in a time of darkness is to flee from the Lord. We should, since God is our strength, since God is our refuge, we should flee to the Lord. In addition to this idea of a holy remnant and God is our refuge, Micah also adds a third thing that we should pay attention to, and that is that the idea that God is our shepherd. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen. That is shepherd language. Thank God that he didn't use blacksmith language here. I'm going to bring you in, and I'm going to beat you into shape on an anvil. Shepherds are much more gentle than a blacksmith. So here we have God as our shepherd. And this is heartwarming for us because all throughout Scripture, you know what we're referred to as? Sheep. How many of you have spent more than five minutes around sheep in your life? Right? Sheep are dumb animals. Right, where they really have no defense mechanism beyond, bah, that's it. Right, when they're attacked, that's all they have to offer. Right, they're not fighters. 
right? They, 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 they're easily confused. They are easily panicked. They are easily debilitated, right? Start to understand why God refers to us as sheep sometimes. They are sheep need protected from themselves because sheep will wander from a perfectly good place with grass and water to someplace else that is not good for them. It's no wonder that Jesus used the parable about a sheep wandering off to describe himself as the shepherd going after us when we go astray. You may not pick up on it. I didn't the first several times that I read it. But he describes our spiritual state in these verses when he refers to us as a noisy multitude of men. We can't protect ourselves. We do ourselves harm. We get confused and hysterical. But, man, we're loud. And that pretty much describes us a lot of the time. Charles Spurgeon wrote of sheep, and I love this quote, Sheep are prone to wander and ready for all sorts of mischief, but they never assist the shepherd in the slightest degree. In this respect, we are all just like the silly sheep, yet our good shepherd supplies all the needs, pities all the infirmities, and pardons all the wanderings of his poor wayward flock. You can look at it two ways. I'm going to choose to look at it the good way bad way. Sheep are dumb. Sheep are, sheep are stupid. They wander. They get themselves into trouble. Right? They, they, they bicker. But there's a positive thing about being a sheep too. And for the Christian to be referred to as a sheep is a good thing. And the best thing about being a sheep is that we always have the shepherd. He is always there. The only thing, the only hope that Micah's generation had is that they had a shepherd who was going to break in and lead them out, nurture them, protect them, and lead them out. And the same is true for our day as well. The only hope we have is our shepherd. By their own sins, the the, the nation of Israel had brought God's judgment upon them. By their own foolish political and economic policy, they found themselves surrounded in their city. Um, But they still had one great resource. They still had God, who was going to remain faithful to his covenant and would not abandon his holy remnant. By our own sins, we are bringing the judgment of God. By our own foolish policies and practices, we find ourselves holed up in defense. But we still have one great resource. We have that shepherd who will not abandon his covenant and will not abandon his holy remnant. The Lord looks with love upon the weak and the needy. Psalm 34, verse 17 and 18 says, When the righteous cry out, the Lord hears. The Lord delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves the Christian spirit. For this reason, Micah consoles the holy remnant by, saying, I will bring, by telling them, I, God, will bring them out. This image of the Lord as our shepherd is one of the Bible's primary ways of showing us our relationship with our God. It it tells us that what matters first and foremost is that we have a relationship and that we come under the care of the right shepherd. 
How often in the Bible we see uh, these false shepherds, these false prophets popping up and leading people astray because they were the wrong prophet. They were the wrong shepherds. Zechariah chapter 11 says their own shepherds had no pity on them, and so they were doomed to be slaughtered. Jesus uh, tells us that in John chapter 10 and verse 12 that, that he points out that false teachers, false shepherds will abandon their sheep when danger draws near. Church, the lack of a true shepherd remains the greatest problem in our world today. People are chasing after voices that tell them what they want to hear, what they think that they need, or they are saying that I don't need anybody to tell me how to live my life. Jesus looked at the state, at this state of a person and, and with pity in Matthew chapter 9 at seeing the masses harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The godly of Micah's day turned to the Lord for salvation, and the church in 2022 has to do the same, has to turn to the right shepherd. This remnant, according to Micah 2, will be collected, will be gathered, will be protected, will be provided for, and then eventually we will be led out to eternal victory forever by the true shepherd. And we need him because we got ourselves into this mess. We can't get ourselves out. We can't do it ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We can't lead ourselves out. Left to our abilities, we will wander away. Remember the words of Spurgeon again, sheep are prone to wander and ready for all sorts of mischief. Wander. It brings to mind to me the words of a song, a hymn, an old, old hymn, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Those words were penned centuries ago by a barber turned into a poet, turned into a pastor, turned into an agnostic. They, they, they were penned by a, a gentleman named Robert Robinson. And while he was in London as a barber's apprentice, he and some buddies found themselves one Sunday harassing a drunk gypsy, just for fun. And what they did is they gave this gypsy, this, this fortune teller, some, a little bit extra encouragement in the form of alcohol, and then and said, hey, okay, you're going to give us our fortune for free. So in the midst of all this fun in their minds, this drunken oracle told Robinson that he would live to see his kids and his grandchildren. And for some reason, this shocked Robinson because he had come just for fun. He was just messing around with his friends, up to no good. But the words of this gypsy scared him. This vision of, his, of having life, having children and grandchildren compelled him on a journey to get away from, in his own words, this gang of notorious hoodlums and his debauched life. Three years of a worth of journey led him to the point where he became a believer in Jesus Christ. And he, 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 he wrote the song that we have been singing for centuries. Well, after that encounter with that drunken gypsy and being scared, this prominent speaker 
a great awakening speaker, George Whitfield, was coming to town, and he wanted to go here. So he got his friends to come by saying, hey, why don't we go and just heckle this gospel preacher? While he's, while he's preaching, we'll just make life rough on him. So they went, and he spoke, Whitfield spoke with such authority and with such power and a message from Micah and Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, which warned the hearers to flee from the wrath of God. And Robinson put his faith in Christ, pinned this song that we've been singing. But then over the course of years, he began to doubt. He went through about every denomination that was available to him at the time. And he, he found things, and, all, and eventually he became at best an agnostic. And then he died... But shortly before his death, this unhappy, this broken man was, was riding in a stagecoach. And in this sta on this stagecoach, there was a lady who started singing, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And as she sang this, she saw this unhappy, this broken old man just weeping. And she asked, was it this song? Said, have you heard this song before? And he replied to her, Madam, I am the poor unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago. And I would give a thousand worlds if I had it to enjoy those feelings I had again. When we peel back and we peek behind the protective veil that we make over ourselves through time and nostalgia, the humi humanity that we find can be startling. We find ourselves seeking out wisdom that fits our wants. We, we, we accumulate teachers for ourselves because we have a desire to hear something new. We, we find ourselves focusing more on desires of our heart than the will of our Father. We find ourselves like sheep wandering in need of our Savior. And remember, the best thing about being a sheep is that we always have a shepherd. And if we listen closely, we will recognize his voice. He promises that. I call my sheep, they know my voice. And if we listen, we will hear the voice of our Savior. So today, church, I just want to leave you with a few thoughts. Today, will we be willing to admit that we, that I, that you have an idol problem, that we, that we look for voices that will help us elevate ourselves in our need. We look for voices that feed us a steady diet of things that sound good to us. Will we tune out the din of unfaithful cultural teachers and charlatans in order to hear the voice of our shepherd calling us to safety? Will we examine our life to see how we have misused, like those greedy, evil land barons early in chapter 2, how we have misused the blessings of God to beat down and keep down those around us? Will we examine those that we're listening to, even if they claim to be a, a godly man or a woman uh, who, who is sharing truth, will we make sure that we are examining what we are hearing through this lens and no other lens? Today, will we rededicate ourselves to listening for the voice 
of our familiar, of our faithful shepherd. Judgment is coming. Scripture makes that clear. But it also makes it clear that for that faithful remnant, that seemingly insignificant group of people, the story is going to continue throughout time, throughout time, until eventually all the world knows about Jesus. Every people group has heard that every person has had the opportunity to bow a knee before King Jesus. At the end of time, we're all going to take a knee. It's a matter of whether we take it in obedience to a king or as a first step into an eternity in hell. Father God, thank you for today. God, we're so grateful for the words of Micah that have been preserved for us. Words that tell us of a coming judgment for those who have stepped away, those who have believed in other idols, those who have accepted uh, voices that, that, that fit their needs rather than your will. And God, we're thankful that it also tells us of a faithful remnant that will be protected, that will be nurtured, that will be fed, that will be led out in victory. And God, we pray that we have a desire to always be in that faithful remnant. God, when things get rough, when things get uh, gloom, gloomy, when, they, when, when things seem to be insurmountable, God, help us to run even more quickly, more directly to you, our refuge and our fortress. And God, we love you. And we are thankful that you loved us enough to send your son to die for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.